I hear voices of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see, can a man give birth to a child? Why then do I see every man with his hand upon his loins, like a woman in labor, every face pale? Alas, it is the day. It is great. There is none like it. It is the time of trouble. But Jacob shall be saved out of it. It comes to pass in this day, says Jesus Christ of hosts, I break the yoke from your neck, burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave you, but they shall serve Jesus Christ, their God, and David, their king, whom I will raise up for them. So do not fear, my servant Jacob. Be not dismayed, O Israel. Look, I save you from afar. Your seed from the land of their captivity, they shall return. Have rest. Be quiet. No one shall make them afraid anymore. Behold, I am with you to save you, says Jesus Christ. And I'll add, that's the meaning of his name. He says, I make a full end of the nations where I scatter you, but I do not make a complete end of you. No, I chasten you in justice. Do not let you go undisciplined, for you must learn to see your affliction is incurable. Your wound is severe. No one else will plead your cause. You may bind yourself up, but you have no healing medicines. Your lovers all forget you. They do not seek you. They wound you with wounds like from an enemy, with chastisement, cruelty, the multitude of your iniquities only increasing your sin. And then you cry about this, your affliction, self-imposed sorrow, so incurable. The multitude of your iniquities only increasing your sin till you are devoured. And then those who devour you, they too are devoured. Because he who makes the plunder, he becomes the plunder. Every captor goes to his own captivity. But he who made you the prey, look, I make you the predator. As I restore your health to you and heal your every wound because they say there is no God in Zion. Thus says the Lord, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob. Have mercy on his dwelling places, the city to be rebuilt upon its own mound, the palace according to his plan. And then out of them shall proceed the voice of merrymaking, thanksgiving, Glorifying, multiplying, not diminishing, they shall not be small. The congregation well established, punishing those who oppress as nobles and governors arise from their midst when every man draws near, bows the knee, and pledges his heart to Jesus Christ in heaven. I look down and I see, Jeremiah 30, 30, excuse me, 30, 22, 
you shall be my people and I will be your God. So the whirlwind of Jesus Christ, it goes forth in fury, a continuing whirlwind falling violently upon the heads of wickedness, not returning until he accomplishes all the attentions of his heart. These are the latter days. Best consider it well how he loves you with an everlasting love. With loving kindness, he will draw you and he will build you. Yes, you shall be built up. So hear the word of Jesus, O you nations. Declare it in the islands far away. Say he who scattered Israel is gathering, keeping as a shepherd does his flock. Jesus Christ redeeming Jacob from the hands of those too strong from, for them. So come now and stream to the heights of Zion. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Refrain your voice from weeping. Dry your tears from your eyes. There's a hope for your future. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Jeremiah 30 and 31. I've been praying that every day for six months, nine months, something like that. It's in my blood now. I was tickled that it came up this week. I hope I can preach it to you. I just did about the best I could do, really. It makes sense to me. I don't need to explain it when I pray it. It, it just seems to hit everything from the ancient world to the present day to the day of the life of the world to come. Every trouble, every care, it all is given hope in the knowledge that Jesus is my God. And if he wants to send me to slavery or the sword because of some, I don't know what, we'll talk about borders in a minute because the text does. If he wants to send me to slavery or the sword, then that's what he's going to do. And I will praise him there. If I'm in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea, I'm going to praise him there. Because I'm going to know that this season of suffering is only a season of suffering and that what comes on the other side is so great a glory and so powerful and profound a hope and a truth and a joy that God himself was willing to let us nail him to a cross to get us all there. What a hope for your future. Now, the most important like knowledge thing I can give you about Jeremiah 30 and 31 today is this. It's now and not yet. But don't just focus on the not yet because the now is like superpower. I mean, the, the now is why you are more than a conqueror. The now is that you have a trust in the creator that the pagans can't have. They can say, I love God all they want. They don't. And they run around trying to make sacrifices all the time to keep the evil away. You're free from that. You're free from that. If you ever make a sacrifice to God again, it is to be and will be a sacrifice of praise. There is no atonement left. It's done. It is finished. So to see again that the promises of a rebuilt city, a restored kingdom, life the way that it's supposed to be, that's why we're Christians. We want that. And we want that because we know God says that's what's supposed to be. So we want that, and we try for it in this age where we still know our sin clings to us. Our wicked natures are here. That doesn't mean we can't build a good city with laws that actually work. It doesn't mean we can't have good men and good women and good families caring about their neighborhoods. But you have to then have good men and good women. And you know, men don't make good women, and women don't make good men. 
Right? So you have, you have to have that and, and a number of other things. Like when I trade and I give you a coin and it's made of silver, uh, you should know that it's all silver and not like silver and tin, right? So Christians want worlds where the lines light up. We want a, a city where the towers don't fall over, but we don't get to rule the world. We only get to rule our body, which is plenty of work if you've practiced. You get to rule the body and then perhaps God will give you some under you, perhaps your children, perhaps a neighbor in need who you can rule by care again, you know, by coming alongside and giving them what is most valuable, which is generally not going to be more stuff. It's going to be love, right? Attention to the soul. An awareness of the human, which is so rare to find. I mean, did you see the people fighting over presence? <laughs> Any videos this year? I saw a couple. I talked about it last week, I think. One guy Superman into a car. It's funny until you think about it. I was like, that's not a, that's not a movie. That was real. Now we have trust in the God who has saved us in Jesus Onto a perfect world where there is no sorrow, where the building up of the temple of your body shall never fall down. And in the meantime, we get to live here with the knowledge that even if they tear it down, it's just coming back stronger. And his promise that a lot of the time, he's not going to let them tear it down. But he's going to let it look like they're about to. And then when you call on his name, he'll answer. When you pray for salvation, he'll give it. Jesus Christ is my salvation yesterday, today, and forever, right? It didn't just happen a long time ago when I gave my heart to Jesus or a long time ago when I got baptized. All the arguments about baptism are the belief it only happened once. If Lutherans would talk about baptism like we mean, it happens all the time. Like today, I am baptized. I am constantly washed by the word of God. It is never going to leave me or forsake me. I think people would maybe think differently about how we talk about it. We like to run through, you know, they're what, two months old, we'll get them wet and maybe come back to church in three to five months. And I'm preaching the choir here, so don't take it personally. But you know how it is. You've seen it, haven't you? And then we wonder why the city doesn't work. <laughs> so again, Christians have the promise that, that when, when the world goes evil, when the pews get empty, when people stop caring about God, you know what God does? He looks for the couple that are believing in him. He says, now, right now, you and me, here we go. That's us. That's us right now. Right now, today, you, me, St. Paul, whoever's watching, Christians everywhere, everywhere. The last line in uh, Jeremiah 31, um, 17, the, the, the text that we read, right? I, I went from 30 on. We won't be able to get through all that today. But, but the text that we read, um, the last line, the promise is that your children shall come back to their own border. And... I don't know, is that, that's not really one that Americans can get too up about, right? Unless you got, you know, kids in the military or something. Like, like, what does that mean? In America, the way we view land is a little bit the way we view the stock market, which is that it's a means to an end, right? Most people don't buy a house with the intention that they're like, great, 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 great grandkids will still own that house. So the idea of borders... It's very different to us because we, we move our borders without really thinking about it too much. We're a little bit vagabondy, you might say, which is fine. As Christians, we should think that way anyway. We live in tents, right? It's all going to pass, right? But the thing is, for the Israelite, like your house 
And your land, which would have been better than a quarter acre, I'm not sure what the allotments were when they first went into Israel, but it would have been land, okay? Uh, that this land which you inherited as an Israelite was going to be your great, 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 great forever sons. Forever. And that meant like the lot. They cast the lots, literally, through dice, and then mine got the nice tree and yours got the river, and there's a line right there. And that boundary, God put it there. Now, so imagine if that's like, there's so much more here. That's your religion, right? Because for them it was. That's, that's their religion. And they believe it's a deposit on the paradise, which is to come, right? Just like for us now, we kind of have the deposit shrunk down to our body from a plot of soil around us. But it's the same idea. They didn't have the full kingdom then. They were waiting for the kingdom to come. But that, that lot, their lot in life, their land was what they lost when they were conquered then. And if, if you've ever had to you know, think about bankruptcy, not making your mortgage payments, having the power turned off, right? Oh, imagine now it's your whole you know, neighborhood and they round you up, they take you somewhere else. That's, that's what happened to them. And, and all of Jeremiah 30 and 31 is after that happens. After Jeremiah watches the city be just utterly destroyed, women, and children, with all the worst you can imagine, the horror movies don't even do it credit. We don't talk about this stuff because it scares you all so much. It's just disgusting what they did to the bodies, okay? Jeremiah's seen all of that. And he's seen a small contingent, a remnant. There are still Israelites. They didn't get killed in the city because before, when Jeremiah said, right now, Jesus says, leave the city, they left. They left. They went out to Babylon. He says, everyone who goes to Babylon, you're going to live. They left. They went out. Jeremiah also survives. And now he's with them looking at the death and the walls torn down and the smoke and the fire. And it's just, what is, it's, it's unimaginable to us. And again, then he preaches, don't cry. Not now. Don't weep. Not now. This is for your good. You can't see it, but it's going to be even better. And 70 years later, when the cry went up from the emperor of the world to go rebuild Jerusalem, many of those families did not go back because it got so much better where they went, they didn't want to go home. There's a lesson there as well in terms of stupidity, not listening when God speaks. But the fact is, again, that the gospel, that you will return to your own border is the promise that God is going to put us into Eden. And that begins with your self-control of your own body that has a lot to do with the way that you steward your tongue. Because your tongue with your hands is, is really more important than your land, right? Your tongue and your hands are there for your land. And would you believe? Probably not. I don't know. We're Americans. The most important thing your land needs from you is prayer. <laughs> not water, not fertilizer, prayer to Jesus that he will make your land produce. And by the way, which land am I talking about? Am I talking about your half acre or America, right? And, and that's just it. It's all of it. It's your body too. Huh? And now, again, all of this promise that the destruction cannot destroy you, but you will live through it and be stronger on the other side, given to Israel of old, happened twice, Egypt 
and the exile, so it could happen thrice, the third and final time, Jesus of Nazareth on the cross, his body down, his body again, he is risen. Hallelujah, so that the rest of us can walk through this veil of tears with our heads held high, knowing that whatever bullets are whizzing by, whatever pain and suffering comes, it's all going to pass. And every step that we think is harming us, we may believe, is strengthening us unto a greater understanding of the love of God than, than we, than I, had before. I mean, I firmly believe, I mean, I'm 45, I firmly believe I do not understand the love of God as much as I will when I'm 46. And I think I'll still have a ways to go when I'm 47. Because his mercies are new every morning. Great and multitudinous is his faithfulness. So even while the infants are lying dead in the streets, he can say, Rachel, weeping for her children, and then say, dry your tears. Because what was lost isn't what you thought it was. And what God intends to bring, well, that's always better. Always. In Jesus' name. So your children shall come back to their own border is the restoration of the exile, right? The promise that even though Jerusalem is destroyed, it's not over. I want you today, at the end of this 2023, going into 2024, if you make New Year's resolutions, great. If you don't, great. Doesn't matter. Same idea, though. I want you today to believe that there is a hope for your future in this life before Jesus comes back. I think that is the thrust of this text. It is not, Jesus came, so now we get to die and go to heaven, yay. Let's kind of waste time till it happens. It's, Jesus came, so now the scales fall from our eyes. We see the power of the evil all around us, and we also understand the power of sacrificial love better than anyone Not to mention that the creator God who answers prayer has told us to call upon him in every need. And so while our borders are having a fascinating time of it, and maybe that's as far as I'll go, but they are. There's a lot of new people in this country. I don't know how else to say it. What are they looking for? Let me suggest to you, they don't know. Let me suggest to you, freedom is a lie that many people sell. And let me suggest to you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the freedom that's going to find them. They happen to walk by members of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Because we're going to be ready for anybody who comes our way, whether they belong on our land or not, to talk to them about truth. Not be afraid to care for the need of a passing person, but also to not be afraid to defend the good of the city. Again, all of this is just right there in Jeremiah 30 and 31, the whole section. That where Christians are, we can expect to thrive over time. Where the evil ones come, the wicked who just want to greedy, chew up and spit out, they come along and they'll join us. They'll pretend to be like us so they can eat it up. Then they'll spit us out. And you know what? We land. And we walk right on and we build again. If there's something the church is supposed to learn through all of this, in Ephesians 3 verse 10, it talks about the angels learning this too. I think we're supposed to learn to not make the same mistakes over again the next time that things go better. It's easy to pray when there's problems because you're like, dear Jesus, right? So it just comes out, right? It's when it's all so good that it's hard to say, dear Jesus. We forget. 
And then along comes someone who says something like, you know, I like Jesus, but not this part. And we don't want to make him feel bad. And we hedge and we ha, we back off. And yeah, 40 years later, 60 years later, and a couple of psyops, and they don't even know who he is anymore. I heard a story when I was in New Jersey about a pastor who wore his crucifix into a coffee shop. And the lady said, I like your cross. Who's the little man? And that was, that was, you know, what, 15, 16 years ago now. The, just the other day, uh, someone, member, I'll keep it private, but, but told me, you know, they were out, they saw someone's crucifix. They asked about the, the cross, the crucifix, and they, they couldn't tell her about it at all. She wears it every day. That's some Catholic stuff, I think is what she said. <laughs> some Catholic, what does that mean, right? Uh, the, the blindness. You think you know who Jesus is and everyone's heard about him. Uh-uh, not anymore, man, especially with TikTok. They're going like multiple personality split disorder thing right now. If you're watching, it's, it's breaking people's minds. They don't remember what happened last week, let alone three years ago, let alone what they were taught in Sunday school. It's all one big movie made by Disney anyway, right? <laughs> uh, so let's get to the text here. The hope in all of this that Jeremiah gives is that we're going to be built all right, let's start with the text as printed, but we're going to go before it. So if you find your way to the Pew Bible or your own Bible, that'd be great. We're going to start with 31 verse 10. But I, want to, I want to rewind it to some other stuff um, after we do this section. So it starts out with, hear the word of Jesus, O nations, declared in the islands far away and say, you scattered Israel will gather him, right? Jerusalem is struck by God. And so the Israelites are flung to the wind and that's so that he may gather them, draw them back more strong than they were with more believers and prepared for Christ to come. Thus, we may believe that whenever the devil appears to strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter, Jesus has this well in hand. Yes. And his, his side and his the wounds on his hands and feet should really show us that most clearly. Now, he who scattered will gather. And then that's the church. That's us now. That's the New Testament. And indeed, it's, this is about the life of the world to come when the angels come and they, they grab us from the four corners of the earth and they rapture us up to God. And we meet him in the air. And we come down for judgment day. Like, like all that's here too, but it starts now. As you are called, gathered, enlightened, and sanctified by the word of God to keep you as a shepherd does his flock, right? Good Shepherd Sunday is a ways away. It's, it's way after Easter now, but who is the good shepherd? It's not me. Right? There's no pastor in Christ, though you call us pastor, that means shepherd. But all of us are hirelings by comparison to the one who is our master, yeah? And that he's the one who keeps us. He's the one who keeps you, your body, your family, your home, your neighborhood, your city. For Jesus Christ has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I just mentioned one news story this morning, right? Immigration, right? one news story. Right? But I'll tell you, when I am watching the news, I feel like I'm in the hands of those who are too strong for me. Huh? It really doesn't matter which story I can put out, even the ones that make me hopeful. I like Elon Musk. I think he's crazy, but I like him. He makes me hopeful. Still, he is too strong for me. And when I find myself trying to battle this too strong for me story that just keeps assaulting me, right? It's kind of nice to be able to say I'm ransomed from the hand of the one too strong for me. I don't have to fix it. There's a, 
there's a song I've shared with you before, and it's not the most amazing song in the world, but the line's so very important. When I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you, and, and the, the singer is speaking to God. And the idea is not that I feel surrounded by light and love and rainbows and happiness. The idea is I, I feel surrounded by demons and, and, and the devil himself. Like I'm in pitch black darkness and they're prowling around and their big vicious faces are up in my, my grill like this, right? And they're on me and I'm about to die and, and I feel surrounded. But I know that, that that devil's face growling in my my face, I know that's actually a mask. As Luther talk here, a mask that Jesus has. Don't get me wrong, there's actually a devil, right? But he's on a chain. And Jesus has the other end of that chain. So he might be on me like this, but he can't get to me. And all of it's just so I can learn to look at him and laugh. They go, oh, look at you, little doggy on a chain. Yeah, you're nothing. Why? Because when I'm surrounded, even by my enemies, only Jesus let that happen. And he's outside and bigger than all of it. So I'm actually surrounded by him, ransomed from all that appears too strong for me. Therefore, verse 12, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion. That's what you do this morning. Every Sunday, Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, you come and you sing on the heights of Zion, right? You stream to the goodness of Jesus as you take the bread and wine that is his body and blood. And oh, look, wheat and new wine. It's right there in the text. It's like it all means everything when it was written, when it happened with Jesus, today, and in the life of the world to come, right? All the promises are yes for you in Jesus, uh, the rest of verse 12, and uh, it gives you more hope about the life of the world to come. Any with, they shall sorrow no more at all. Which again, you can imagine the not yet of that, right? I mean, you can't really imagine no sorrow. I can't, but I can hope in it. But the not sorrowing anymore also comes today. As the thorns and thistles of this life are given the salve of understanding that it will pass. And that as he took the thorns, so also you are just one with him, right? If we get to the first Peter text again today, when you suffer, you just are one with Christ as long as you believe that. It's, it's a powerful, powerful hope. The bit about verse 13, the virgin and the old man all rejoicing. This is just everyone's out in the streets happy. We're back. You know, the war is ever over. Think V-Day, I guess, if you're old enough to remember that, right? And I will satiate the soul of the priest with abundance. My people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says Jesus. Jesus is enough. It doesn't always feel like it because the, the point is not that he's enough to make you feel good all the time. Your feelings are part of the problem. Your feelings are part of the sinful condition that you have. Just as you won't always understand everything that he does, whether it's what happens in life or whether it's how the Holy Trinity works. You know, and demanding that you understand is kind of like demanding that you feel good, right? Self-imposed sorrow, so incurable. It's self-imposed. The sorrow is basically expectations that are out of line. If your expectations were always in line with what will be, you wouldn't be disappointed, right? If you had expectations that were realistic, then you would not be disappointed. You would find reality. The trick is getting those expectations, and I'll promise you the Psalms and the Proverbs just start helping you. We'll start putting that in perspective and sorrow becomes a different thing. Still here, but you can know it won't be here tomorrow or the day after because why? Life keeps going. Jesus keeps winning. There's always another answer to prayer coming. Nah. 
Thus says the Lord, verse 15, now we have this one bit that jumps out that Matthew picks up on for the holy innocence, right? Or he says, it's like a poem, right? A voice was heard in Rama, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more, right? This is lamentations in a single verse. This is, oh, woe is me. Oh, look at the destruction. And that's exactly what Matthew will pick up on as, can you imagine your small town with up to 200 two-year-olds in it? One day and the next day, got 200 dead bodies. Now Herod the king, all because he heard about the Christ, right? They came and they said, the Christ has been born. He goes, oh, you don't say, let me see if I can kill him. What a man. If you don't believe in wicked people, right? I mean, read about Herod some more. What, a, what an insane man. He leaves his own town. I mean, he's, it's not his main city, but he rules this town. He leaves them with all of this bloodshed. And then Jeremiah, who had written long ago about Jerusalem's destruction, Matthew picks up on that and says that was prophesied by Jeremiah. And it's not even about Jerusalem. It's about Jesus. Can you see the kind of like layers of prophecy as they build like that? I've been trying to teach this for years, how it starts with a narrow picture. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, right? But it ends with Jesus getting crucified as Jerusalem, right? And guess what? You can't destroy it for long. So that picture builds like a metaphor over the whole Old Testament until it just boils into humanity in Jesus, right? Incarnate himself, the cries, the tears, though, of Rachel weeping for her children again that Matthew picks up on, I would hope you can put your, your heart in that a little bit. And maybe, let me, let me shift this a touch. I mentioned immigration, right? I'm, I'm really always scared to talk about the news here, but it's hard to avoid some of these things, especially when it's going to begin to impact us. So as busloads of people are being brought to Chicago and dropped in the streets, in late December, I'm concerned about humans a lot, actually. And I can imagine all too easily people finding dead people in the streets just because they fell asleep one night. And that ain't even close to the barbarism of 200 babies murdered in the town. And that's not close at all to the kind of things that happened in Jerusalem. Again, I'll give you the, it was so bad that as soon as the baby died, you're in the city, you're starving. As soon as the baby dies, you boil the baby and you eat it. This happened twice to Jerusalem. That's how bad it was. So never think you have it that bad until you have it that bad. That's bad. That's bad. Lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. And then Jeremiah says, forget about it. Leave it behind you now. And I'll tell you, it, it, the day that I have to watch one of my children die, or my wife, it'll be hard if you say to me, Pastor, forget about it. Just a season in life. It's all going to be fine in time. I'll probably look up and say, you jerk. Just weep with me or something. But I'll tell you that when I'm done weeping, I'm going to tell myself, forget about it. I'll cry over her dead body. I'll just let Meredith be the one for the moment. That hurt me a lot. I'll cry over her dead body for enough time. 
I'm going to get back to work. She's just going to rest. She deserves it, by the way. When she goes to sleep, that woman works hard. She deserves it when she goes to sleep, right? And so we're just going to walk on. And the reason I can know I'll get there through the grief is because that's the message I preach. So I can hear it. And therefore, I can tell you, you hear it too. And let me suggest the Bible on your own at home is pretty good. Jeremiah can be tough to crack open. Let's push back to some more promises that are super easy, though. This is the end of chapter 30, right? And why don't we start with actually verse 16. Oh, I love this section. All those who devour you shall be devoured. All your adversaries, every one of them go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall become the plunder. Um. The idea here is like, he, Jesus says it this way, he who takes the sword will perish by the sword. Right? If, you, if you live by the belief that, that I can make others do it, someday somebody will make you do it. It's just kind of how it happens over time. God raises one up and he pulls another down. Right? Um, but now, you know, uh, uh, the rest of the verse, all who prey upon you I will make the prey as I restore your health to you and heal you of your wounds, says Jesus. So there is a time and a place where he decides that, yep, indeed, like those who seek power will destroy themselves with the power. But there's a point at which he's just going to make his church have power. And he says that's the, the good news again especially when they are saying there's no God in Zion. When they are saying there is no God, right? Remember the rapture, even Yahweh can't save you. Or perhaps you've heard of the Titanic, God can't sink this ship. It's the kind of truth that makes fiction just kind of silly, right? It's so strange, but it really is the way that it was. Jesus turns the Christian into a predator. Now, he says, I will make you fishers of man. You're not out there with a sword to kill. You're out there with a word to heal and to bring hope. But I really like thinking about being a predator as a Christian with the word of God. And I'm tired of the isolation and the demoralization that's made me afraid of my common man and neighbor in America. I like the idea that Christians are predators. Again, I pray this every morning. I will restore your health, heal your wounds, because they say there is no God in Zion. Therefore, verse 18, behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob. It is because they are claiming God is not in the church. It is because they are claiming the Protestant Reformation and Lutheranism is over with. It is because they are claiming no one can stop them from trafficking in women and children. That Jesus Christ is going to. And he's going to start in the most unexpected of places, namely your heart, making your day today and tomorrow alive in him, unable to be put off of the game of praising his name, even though the wicked ones say they win. <laughs> they don't. I will have mercy on his dwelling places, the rest of the verse says, right? Bringing back the captivity of Zion. Translate that as when the church grows, 
which it is. We're here. We're growing. <laughs> when the church grows, I will have mercy on his dwelling places. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of mercy. The city shall be rebuilt upon his own mound, the palace according to his plan. Now, for them, that meant like the temple, right? And the, the, the palace of David. Just hear that it has life. Life is going to go on the way that it's supposed to go on with law and order. And if it passes for a time, it will not pass forever. Especially as out of our order here proceeds, verse 19, thanksgiving, the voice of merrymaking, multiplying, right? Not diminishing, glorifying. The children also as before, the congregation well-established, punishing those who oppress. The nobles shall be from among them. Governors shall come in their midst when I cause him to draw near. He shall approach me. Who is this who pledged his heart to me, says Jesus? And Jesus says, you shall be my people. I will be your God. And I'll go through that again more slowly. So as we come to Christ, believing there is hope in our future, praising him for his works with merrymaking, that's praise. Thanksgiving, right? That's praise. Glorifying, that's praise. It says it will multiply. It will not diminish. That's what happens when we praise Jesus. And so our children will be as before. Have we had a few generations with less children stick around in church? That may be. But we go toward a different future where they will be as before with the congregation well established before me. He's talking about the Holy Christian Church on earth, but I think, St. Paul, you can apply that to yourself. You can trust that the congregation will be well established and nobles and governors will come from our midst. We could have the mayor of Rockford come out of us in 20 years if we wanted to. Why don't we ask for it? We couldn't do any harm, really, right? Why not pray for it? Nobles and governors arise out of the Christian church when the Christian church praises Jesus. To do that, you got the rest of the line here. I will cause him to draw near and approach me and pledge his heart to me, says Jesus. Well, yes, that's Jesus on the cross. Yes, that's the ascension of Jesus to heaven. But oh, yes, that's you. That's you today. We talked about being sons of God last week. Every man, woman, and child, draw near, bow the knee, and pledge your heart to Jesus Christ and to the hope which his future promises. And then walk on. Because all that stuff's going to happen. You don't even have to make it happen. It's all going to happen. You shall be my people. And I will be your God, it says. But then it says, so you've got him on your side. Next verse, the whirlwind of Jesus Christ, it goes forth in fury. A continuing whirlwind falling violently on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of Jesus will not return until he has done it, until he has performed the intents of his heart. He will be our God in the midst of the storm that destroys the earth time and time again. And that means he will be our God in the midst of the storm that destroys the earth time and time again. The whirlwind is God's hidden mystery. Go to Job for the whirlwind. But what it is, again, is what you see going on right now. Who, who do you think's in charge? Don't answer. <laughs> who do you think's really in charge? Who do you think's really, really in charge? The whirlwind of Jesus Christ, it goes forth in Fury, a continuing whirlwind falling violently upon the heads of wickedness. 
what you see happening is God letting people do to themselves what they do without him. Next line, in the latter days, you will consider it. Now put up your hand now. We're in the latter days for sure, right? So consider it well, and then don't miss what verse 3 says. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's 31.3. So while he goes forth as a whirlwind of fury against the wicked, he puts you in the ark of his church, right? The boat through the storm, loving you with an everlasting love, with loving kindness, I have drawn you and I will build you and you shall be rebuilt. Hear the word of Jesus, all you nations. I want to declare that in the islands far away. I want to say that to people who aren't here. I want to be have that be something that when I'm out and about in Rockford and I'm busy trying to live my life, I forget living my life and start thinking about these words. Because I honestly believe I'll have less fear and less struggle and less trial in Rockford if I just am unafraid to talk about my hope for the church. That the church of Jesus Christ is not done yet, and that doesn't just mean sitting on our thumbs and waiting for him to come back. But that life and grace and family are going to go on. And we have these things right here. Let us take our last four minutes and have St. Peter send us on our way. If you turn your way to 1 Peter chapter 4, we heard it read. It's also in the bulletin, of course, if you want to find it there. 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. I'm going to have to look at the verses at the end of it. 12 to 19, where, again, you know, what's coming? I don't know. More colds, more sicknesses, more hunger, less money. It'll all be kind of normal, right? Beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. I know I've told this story before, I still can't get it out of my head, though. New Jersey, my first pastorate. There's a lady in church. I barely knew the people. I was there nine months. First pastorate, she wants me to go see her mom. Her mom's dying. Her mom's got cancer. She's in somewhere. Her mom it was a lifelong Methodist, hasn't been to church in 20-some-odd years. I say, sure, I'll go see your mom. I go see her, and she's frail as a bird, skinny as thing, all laid out on the bed, and she, she can barely kind of like look at me, but she does. She turns her head, and she kind of looks at me, and she squeaks out. How did this happen? You're an 80-year-old lifelong smoker. You had a great run. What do you mean, how did this happen? How do you not know you're going to die? I didn't say it that way. <laughs> but it, it, it continues to go through my head. And I say it that way to you now. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. To test you as though this were strange. It's, we know. The thorns are coming and they're going to put us in the grave. Huh? But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Huh? When you suffer here and you say, God, why? He says, because you're in Jesus, you can take it. You're one with him now. You're better than the rest. Huh? You partake of Christ's suffering that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I mean, the only way that doesn't inspire you is you don't believe it. The spirit of glory, right? I mean, how many video games do young men play trying to find glory? 
The spirit of glory rests upon you and the spirit of God. On their part, that is for the people outside the church, he, God, that spirit of glory is blasphemed. And you definitely see that all over these days, whether it's a statue of Satan in a holy place or a sacred place, or whether it is someone just shouting the name Jesus Christ as you walk by. I don't know you've heard it. Right? You hear him say it. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, right? You can't get away from people shouting Jesus Christ and meaning the wrong thing when they say it. But don't be a bad person. Don't murder. Don't steal. Evil. It's pretty obvious. Don't do that. Don't be a busybody in other people's matters, which means, again, understand borders. <laughs> borders. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. That's one, I mean, I want that one. I want that. I want that. I don't have it yet. It's too easy. I let them shame me for it out there. I walk out there and I say, Jesus, and someone looks at me funny and I kind of want to mm, hold my tongue a little bit. I don't want to be that way. I'm tired of defense. I want to play offense, which means if they're offended that I confess the word of God, they're offended I confess the word of God. They think I'm not loving. They just haven't talked to me long enough. And talk to me long enough, you'll find I, I care a great deal. I, I don't always do it right. make a lot of mistakes. I care a great deal. So, other people's matters. Live your life. Seek the good. And if anyone suffers as a Christian, be not ashamed. And glorify God in this matter. Now, the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. It begins with us first. What will the end be for those who are outside? And kind of a down note to end on here, but it is true. I mean, what happened after 2020, really, in the churches? There's, there's been a sifting in the churches. And you see it still as uh, people are, they're, they're fighting over the decisions they made. And many people are willing to say, there was a past and there's a present, and now I got to think again. But you can watch a lot of international and national church leaders try to not have made any mistakes publicly. They're trying to hold up somehow that everything is good as it is. And as a result, then, they've lost the trust of their people because they're not able to tell them good and evil. Now, again, I, I'm at pains here to be transparent before you because my task is to help you be able to tell good and evil. And since 2020, the, the trial where you can't ignore evil or it starts to hurt you more has amplified, right? It, it can't just be on TV anymore. It's actually in Chicago now, right? And that kind of stuff. That's a hard note to end on. But then that's where Jeremiah is, sitting outside Jerusalem with a crowd of people headed to Babylon. It doesn't look good. But they have the word of God. They have the promises of Jesus. And so I suggest to you that whatever the news may be saying about what's going to happen to us this winter in America, we're better off than they were in Jerusalem. For such a time as this, you were born. For such a time as this, the spirit of glory inhabits you now. And the whole point is so that you will have no shame that wherever you walk, Whoever you look in the eye, you will know you're a son of God. And if they're a son of God too, then you're walking to the same place. In the name 
of Jesus.